We all struggle with immaturity, not just those who have left the room, but all of us struggle with immaturity. How do we know that? Well, I'm reading a parenting book with someone that uh, in church here, and for zero to five years old, the author, uh, Ted Tripp, says in Shepherding a Child's Heart, the number one thing that you are doing in child-rearing the first five years of your children's life is teaching them to submit to authority. The problem is, after five, we still struggle with submission to authority, even if we were taught by very good parents. And the church in Corinth struggled with a lot of things in 1 Corinthians, and they're still struggling with things in 2 Corinthians. And one of those things that they're struggling with is submission to authority. We don't realize that our lack of submission to authority um, isn't someone else's fault. It's our fault. And we have to look at God's word and say, am I like the Corinthians here? where the, my spiritual leaders have to have a defense like this for me to follow them, even though they're trying to uh, help me to follow Christ. And now, as you get older, uh, some blind submission to authority or submission to all authority equally isn't what God calls us to. We're supposed to submit to those who in the church who are Christ-like. And you may have been in a church that the uh, leaders abused their authority or took too much authority on themselves or were absolute dictators of a church. And that is not how our church is set up here. If I wanted to be an absolute dictator, the other three elders would say, nope, <laughs> there's other churches maybe you can find. This, is, this isn't a church where you're going to have absolute authority here. And I love our um, plurality of elders and the authority uh, here um, and so we are, as far as we can tell, biblical in our structure of authority here. And as Paul is going to defend his authority uh, for the church here in the second to last message from Second Corinthians, uh, he's going to show us, and if you look with me at verse, uh, end of verse 19, in the sight of God we have been speaking in Christ and all for your upbuilding or your edification uh, elsewhere in scripture, he uh, uses the same word for uh, building you up. So this is the uh, theme of this passage. Defense of ministry builds up the church when we do it this way. We're going to look at these 11 verses today. Next week, we'll look at 2 Corinthians 13, the whole thing, conclude our uh, 2 Corinthians study. Then we'll have four weeks leading up to Easter, where we'll look at uh, Mark's gospel of the crucifixion and then climax at the resurrection. Why do we need this passage? Christ knows that our following godly leaders strengthens his church. It's all about Christ. We glory in Christ. It's all about Christ. Leadership is pointing us to Christ. Followers are trusting that their leaders are helping them to follow Christ. And when we're all doing this together, we're focused on Christ alone. We are in Christ. We are being built up. Uh, what happens is, the church is strengthened, and then when the church is strengthened, we're more useful in the kingdom of God. It's not about any one of us here. It's about the glory of God and building his kingdom here. Christ promised to do that, and the gates of hell would not prevail against the church. So the church in Second Corinthians uh, needs to uh, learn, and we'll learn alongside them, 
uh, today as we look uh, at the first three verses here, verses 11 to 13. I have been a fool. Now, we have heard this language in, in 2 Corinthians 11. He didn't use this language in the first half of chapter 12, but now he's going back to, I speak as a fool, I speak as a madman, uh, tongue-in-cheek, um, and he's going he's gonna, to uh, talk this way at least for the first three verses. And uh, I think we'll see a little sarcasm here, even in verse 13. I have been a fool, but you forced me to it. <laughs> has anyone ever told you that um, you guys, maybe a boss has said this to you, you guys are forcing me into early retirement, or you're forcing me into the insane asylum, or you may say to your kids, you're driving me crazy. Okay, that's kind of what Paul's saying here, all right? Uh, yeah, I've been a fool, but you forced me to it. And I ought to have been commended by you. So the church should commend or um, recommend their leaders. For I was not at all inferior to these super apostles, which he had exposed previously in chapter 11 as false teachers. And even though I am nothing. Paul says, I am nothing in verse 11. He kind of blames them for forcing him into this foolishness. And he says, I'm not inferior to these super apostles, even though his evaluation of himself, I am nothing. What is he displaying here? What is we, we to, to learn from verse 11? Godly leaders show Christ-like humility. Humility and leadership is not looked at in our world as a strength. If you're in a certain country and you want a leader to be strong and bold and with that usually comes arrogance pride boastful blaming others for the problems and we see that in politicians we see that in other world leaders and it turns us off why because we have a desire to be led by christ-like humble leadership and that's what paul's saying here I'm not at all in fear to these super apostles, even though I am nothing. He's going to continue in verse 12. The signs of a true apostle were performed among you with utmost patience. So Paul has this ministry, and he spent a year and a half with the Corinthians on the, first mis or the second missionary journey that he stopped there. In Acts 20, we're told that he stops there again. And we'll see in verse 14, he's about ready to go a third time. Uh, to them. This is his second, this is his third letter, at least, that he has written to them. The painful letter, the 1 Corinthians, and now 2 Corinthians. And he says, uh, the signs of a true apostle were performed among you with utmost patience, with signs. And now we know some of the signs that were mentioned in second, or 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and 13 and 14. Some of those were prophecy and the speaking of other languages. Um, that Paul says, I do those more than you all. And he regulates uh, the use of languages or tongues uh, in 1 Corinthians 14. But he says, I, I exercise these with all, or the true apostle, power of God, with signs, and that then others, or wonders, or mighty works. We don't have a record that I could find of him performing miracles, but he obviously does in the town of, or in the city of Corinth. We know other places that he performs wonders and mighty works, including raising Eutychus from the dead. Verse 13, for in what were you less favored than the rest of the churches? 
except that I myself did not burn you. So how are you less favored than the rest of the churches that I minister to? And he's ministering to a lot of churches, except that I myself, I didn't burden you. Now he has already talked about burdening you, and that was financial. So I didn't take any money from you, Corinthians. <laughs> and he says, because I, didn't, I treated you special, I didn't take any money from you, forgive me this wrong. Okay, so he's obviously joking uh, here. Uh, so what is he displaying here? Something else, Christ-like, not humility, but Christ-like power. The true apostles got their power from Christ and were able to perform legitimate signs, wonders, and mighty works that Paul says, I showed you those signs. You guys deny deny that I am a, a legitimate apostle, and yet I have written you a first letter, a second letter, this painful letter, and I've shown you in person signs, which would have been speaking in tongues. It would have been uh, the, the prophecies as, as well as some other miracles that Paul performs. And so the, no one in Corinth watching those could say, eh, I don't think he's a true apostle. He obviously was. And it's also Christ-like power to expect the people you're ministering to to support you financially and then not have them support you financially. That also displays humility. So commend your godly leaders if, and as we grow up into maturity, into Christ-likeness, we have to discern, are our leaders Christ-like in their display of humility? Now, we don't have, and I don't have, uh, the apostolic powers, although there are many times I'd love to have it, especially when I go visit you in the hospital. I'd love to just say, okay, this person's going to be healed. And we take you off of the IV, and we check you out of the hospital, and you're like, my pastor is here, and he healed me. Okay, don't expect that, okay, because I don't have that power. Nor do the, nor do the other elders have that power, okay? Um, but we do have available to us the power that is mentioned in 2 Corinthians 10, the pulling down of strongholds and uh, fighting against sin that we have seen in 2 Corinthians 10, 4, and 5, that we don't have to be deceived. So look at godly leaders, and um, you can watch um, people on YouTube. You can listen to sermons, but the, the benefit of the local church and you following leaders is you can examine their life. You can have them over. They can go, you can go over to their house. You can watch them week in and week out. You can watch how they interact with people and say, are these really Christ-like, humble leaders? And if you have to say, yeah, they're not perfect, we're not perfect. Don't expect perfection. Jesus, I'm not Jesus, okay? Only he was perfect. And no other, Paul wasn't perfect. Romans 7 tells us that. No other leaders, Peter wasn't perfect, James wasn't perfect, John wasn't perfect. But are we heading in a direction that looks like Christ-like humility and Christ-like power? And if our leadership here in the local church is, then your responsibility is to move from immaturity, where the Corinthians were, to maturity in commending your godly leaders. Okay, that's the first point. Second point is trust. Not only speak well of your godly leaders, but trust them. And trust is difficult. Trust is earned. We understand that. And this is why we have to uh, build relationships with each other in a local church. And Paul has built, it's spent a year and a half there. They, they're not unfamiliar with who Paul is and who Silas was. Uh, and Titus, we'll see mentioned again here. Uh, these men uh, have 
are known by the Corinthians as true men of God, worth trusting, worthy of trust. Verse 14, here for the third time, I'm ready to come to you. And we, I told you in Acts, um, I think it's Acts 18 is the second missionary journey. His first time that he was there, 18 months, second or a third missionary journey. The second time he was there was Acts 20, just one verse, I think. And now he says here, and we, we believe that he writes First and Second Corinthians because of this time reference uh, around 55, 56 AD after the third missionary journey. Okay, so you may have missionary journeys in the back of your Bible. And so after the third missionary journey was his second time there, that's when he writes Second Corinthians at least because he talks about a third time he wants to come to them. Here, for the third time, I'm ready to come to you. And I will not be a burden. So he says, I'm not coming <laughs> expecting you to be a financial burden on you, okay? For I seek not what is yours, but I seek you. This is remarkable that Paul, in all of his authority, all of his true apostleship and his signs and wonders and, and mighty works and all of his churches that he has helped establish and, and after all that he has been through, says, okay, I don't seek what is your finances. I seek you. For children are not obligated to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. Verse 15, I will most gladly spend and be spent for your soul. So I'm not expecting you to help me. I am expecting as your spiritual parent, I'm expecting to spend my life for you and I'm expecting to be spent for your souls. If I love you more, though, am I to be loved less by you? This doesn't make sense. Verse 16, but granting that I myself did not burden you, I was crafty, you say, and I got the better of you by deceit. Okay, again, he's still joking here a little bit, but I myself, he says, I didn't burden you. If you think I deceived you, why, what did I gain from deceiving you, Paul's saying here? You say I deceived you, but what benefit did I get from, your, from me deceiving you? Did I get money from you? And we know people throughout history, whenever someone deceives you and they take your money, you're like, Ugh. it's frustrating. But when someone is trying to tell you the truth and they won't take any money from you, you're like, hmm, why are you being nice to me? Immature people are still thinking, eh, you're up to no good. You're not trustworthy. You're a deceitful person. Okay, no, I'm not. I'm not trying to take advantage of you. So Paul's saying, trust their leaders. Why? In verses 14 to 16. And I think the key here is verse 14, where he says, I seek not what is yours, but I seek you. I just want what's best for you. Wrong way. He's just concerned for people, the people of Corinth, not what he can get from them. And as a leader here for the last 12 plus years, I have to constantly evaluate my motives and the elders that serve you have to constantly evaluate their motives of why are we doing what we're doing here? Is it so that I can get a bigger paycheck? So that I can hey, be more influential, more powerful, more whatever. 
or if, if my concern isn't for you, it's just what I can get from you, which how a lot of leaders lead, even churches, then I'm wrong. I'm in sin. I'm going to be judged by God for that wrong motive. But if that motive isn't the primary motive in my heart, and isn't the primary motive in the other elders leading here, and their primary concern is for you as people, not that we've got to fill up the church, we've got to make sure everybody's tithing so that we can build a bigger building here, so that we can whatever. No. Our concern is for your souls. For you. And if our concern is for you, then your responsibility is to trust. Trust your godly leaders. Paul was saying, okay, you, have, you know my ministry, you have seen it. I've been with you. I've been with you. I've written to you. I've interacted with you. I even have other people ministering for me, uh, for you. And you can evaluate our ministry and say, did they really want something from us? Because Paul says several times in, in 11 and now in 13, or at the end of 12, we're not doing this for money. I actually didn't take any money from you. Other people were supporting my ministry to you, Corinthians. My primary concern is for you. And our elders meet every two weeks. And our primary concern, and when this isn't the case, the rest of us have to get us back on this page, our primary concern is for you. It's not for what you can do for the church. Our primary concern is you are growing up into a pure devotion to Christ, which he said previously. Our, in, in 2 Corinthians 5, our primary concern is that you, when you stand before God, your life will have been pleasing to him. That's what I want for all of you. And if I don't, then I'm in sin and don't trust me. But if I am and we are as elders concerned for you as people, not for what we can get from you, but what we, how we can help you grow in Christ's likeness, then trust us. Trust is hard. It's not easy and it's not something that Oh, we come here, and when Pastor Ty's hired two and a half years ago, we just come, okay, in October of 2020, oh, we'll just trust you. No, he's had to earn trust, but I think as he's handled the word, we're starting to trust him. And as I've been here 12 and a half years, uh, almost 12 and a half, 12 point something years, hopefully you're le learning to trust me. The other elders have been here longer, <laughs> 35, 40, 45 years. Their life screams faithfulness, Christ-like humility. Trust them. Are they really concerned for people? I think that's, the other two elders don't even get a paycheck. They don't get any financial support from you. And they still love you. And they still want to support you. They still want you to grow. That's their heart. How, do we, how can we see that? Because we see their life, because we are interacting with them on a day-to-day -day basis. So trust. Trust your leadership. If your leadership is not trustworthy, then confront them. And we have uh, mechanisms for that. Second, uh, Timothy tells us about that. We have a plurality of elders so that one elder uh, doesn't have all the authority um, and if he is not trustworthy, then he sh he's not Christ-like, uh, uh, humble, 
or displaying Christ-like uh, power with the word or prayer or a knowledge, then he shouldn't be an elder, which we have seen uh, already in the previous slide. Okay, verses 17 and 18 now. Did I take advantage of you through any of those whom I sent to you? Okay, so that's now Paul's saying, not just me. You say that I was deceitful and crafty. No, I didn't even take any money from you. Now, verse 17, did I take advantage of you through any of these others? So maybe indirect taking advantage of you. I trained my minions to go take advantage of you as a church, okay? And we've already mentioned Titus several times in this book as a trusted, uh, someone who would have the same heart and love for the Corinthians that Paul has displayed. And now Titus is mentioned twice again here. And he says, okay, any of those that I sent to you, did they take advantage of you? I urged Titus to go and I sent the brother with him. We're not sure who the brother is. He wasn't mentioned earlier either. Titus and someone else go. Did Titus take advantage of you? And the Corinthians would have to answer what? No. The same thing, that, the same way that Paul ministered to the Corinthians, not expecting finances, not being a burden to them financially, just ministering to them, caring for them, helping them to be purely devoted to Christ, helping them to stay out of sin and discipline and keep a healthy church going in Corinth was Paul's primary concern. And he says, okay, so Titus didn't take advantage of you. Did we not act in the same spirit? Didn't Titus come with you the same uh, spirit that I presented the ministry to you the two times I've been there? Did we not take the same steps? Didn't Titus follow in my footsteps? Of Titus isn't a, an apostle, but he is a godly leader uh, helping the church to grow. And so what are godly leaders doing that makes them trustworthy? They're concerned that others help in the same way. Paul said, these Corinthians, they think we're out to get them, okay? So when you go, Titus, and minister there, you cannot take any money from them, okay? We'll get supported elsewhere, but we're, we're going to follow the same thing because they distrust us. We haven't given them any reason to, and Titus, you better not give them any reason to distrust you, okay? This is, and so Paul trained Titus to go to Corinth, and he's going, and as the Corinthians analyze how Paul ministered to them, how Titus and others ministered to them, it's the same. It was all building trust, where the Corinthians can trust these godly leaders. Concerned that others help in the same way is what Paul's displaying here. Now verse 19. Have you been thinking all along that we have been defending ourselves to you? Like Paul is saying, okay, so now do you think that our defense to you, now he has had uh, chapter 10, 11, and 12 that are primarily in the context, Paul's defending his ministry to the Corinthians. And he says, now, do you think that we have just been defending ourselves to you only? Hmm, legitimate question. Answer, it is in the sight of God. Now, multiple times Paul has brought up we are serving, we are ministering in the sight of God, for God's glory. We're boasting in Christ alone. All of these things that Paul has laid out in this book now, he is going to say, hey, there is, we are leading in a way that we are most concerned not with you, Corinthians, and your opinion. And you think we're deceitful, but we haven't shown any deceit. You think we're not apostles, but we have shown you true apostleship here and what we're able to do. 
You think we're not trustworthy, but even Titus and others that I've trained to send to you, they have had the same care and love for you, ministered the same way. We've given you no reason to trust us. And if you think that we're just on this two-dimensional, just horizontal, you and us, there's another dimension here, Corinthians. And every minister, every parent, everyone who ever ministers for Christ on earth, and all of us should be ministers, making disciples of all nations. We have to realize there is a vertical dimension that is the most important. And Paul says this, I am most concerned to be in the sight of God that we have been speaking in Christ. I realize that our ministry to you has been misunderstood, but I am not confused about who I'm primarily ministering for, and it's not just you. It's doing, I'm doing this ministry in the sight of God. And I'm doing this ministry in the sight of my Father while I am in Christ. And as we have seen and will see over and over again in the rest of Paul's letters, that he talks about our position as Christians in Christ. Every Christian's in Christ, we are secure. And so he is most concerned with God's opinion. We watch and we can listen to other godly leaders, and we're not sure, unless we get to know them well, if they're really living for God's approval or just man's approval. Because if we are living for man's approval, we'll allow things and we'll entertain and we'll do things that doesn't please God and we'll make this worship service a spectacle when this worship is all about what God thinks. It's not about what you think. Well, I don't like that song. I don't know why we sang it twice. Okay, you can go out thinking that, but we, we don't care <laughs> as much about what you think as what God thinks. You're too harsh, pastor, in how you apply God's word. You make me feel bad every single week. Okay, I don't care. <gasps> You're my pastor. You don't care about me. No, I don't care most about what you think. I care most about what God thinks. We have to have this mentality as we minister because if we are concerned about what other people think, and other immature people think, and if you're a parent and you care what your little three-year-old thinks, you're going to parent differently than if you are primarily concerned about what God thinks of your parenting. God thinks of your ministry, and God has told us what he thinks and what he expects in his word. And so we have to be primarily concerned, as 2 Corinthians 5, 9 says, I'm doing it, I make it my aim to please God. And when you are free from what other people think as the primary, because what people think and what people want always changes. What God thinks and expects of us and what he is pleased with doesn't change. You can go to bed every night knowing that you have done what pleased God that day. How do we know? Because we have it written. God tells us what pleases him. We heard it at the beginning of our service. Walking in the Spirit pleases God. Walking in the flesh doesn't please God. How do we know if we're walking in the Spirit or the flesh? We have fruit there in Galatians 5. We can analyze it. We can analyze it from other people and help them to grow. And Paul has seen in First and Second Corinthians what didn't please God with the Corinthians' lifestyle. 
what they allowed in their church, how they worshiped, and he had to correct and correct and correct. And they're still distrusting him and thinking he's crafty and deceitful. And he says, okay, no, if you just think this is two-dimensional, horizontal here between you and me, who's got the more power, who's got the more crafty opinion, no, it doesn't really matter what you think or what I think. All that matters is what God thinks. And he says here, I'm doing this ministry in the sight of God that we have been speaking in Christ. And all of this is for your upbuilding, your edification. And Ephesians is going to build on this idea, building up uh, the people in the church so that they're not children tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine. And he closes this verse in verse 19 with the word, Beloved. He has said several times and used the parent-child analogy earlier in this passage to show that you guys are loved by me. You are beloved by me. Why would I write you this long letter if I didn't care? Why would I come to you and be talking about coming to you a third time and going to the Corinthians wasn't as simple as just hopping on a plane and waiting two hours and hopping off. No, it was walking, boat, walking, a lot, of, a lot of time to get there. And he is most concerned as he's there, as he's writing to them with God's opinion of his ministry. And as we evaluate our leadership here, we have to always evaluate why are we doing what we're doing as elders, as deacons, as leadership here. We're doing it for God's opinion, God's glory not ours. Finally, verses 20 and 21. For I fear, and he has a couple fears here at the end of this chapter, for I fear that perhaps when I come I may find you not as I wish. And as a parent to a child, whenever you come home and find your children not doing what you wish, they're not going to be happy and you're not going to be happy. And that's what he says here. And that you may find me not as you wish. Okay? Paul's not happy whenever he comes and finds them not um, not trusting him, not obeying, and not being purely devoted to Christ, following false teachers and other things that he's mentioned in Second Corinthians 11. And he says, uh, here's what I, I fear, that perhaps that there may be quarreling, jealousy, anger, hostility, slander, gossip, conceit, and disorder. He's mentioned disorder in First Corinthians 14, and he's also mentioned disorder here again. And all of these relationships with each other that were dealt with in the first book now are summarized here in this one sentence and the works of the flesh in in the opening of our service are uh, also uh, similar to this list quarreling jealousy hostility slander gossip conceit pride and then all that all leads to disorder james also tells us there's disorder in every evil way whenever we live this way. Believers, leaders of believers, are concerned for Christ-like relationships. And when Christ-like relationships aren't happening, the root cause is pride and ungodliness. And it causes leaders to fear that when I don't know, when I go to this church, what am I going to find? 
Am I going to find that my letters were helpful and helped these believers into maturity, or they're still wallowing in immaturity, distrusting me, following false teachers, and everything else that he said in, in the second book of Corinthians. Verse 21, I also fear that when I come again, my God may humble me before you. So if he comes and finds them like the end of verse 20, God's going to humble Paul. We already heard about the thorn of the flesh humbling Paul in the first part of uh, chapter 12. And he says that God may humble me before you and that I may have to mourn over many of those who have sinned earlier and have not repented of the impurity, sexual morality, and sensuality. Those three things were the first three words of the works of the flesh are manifest in Galatians 5. Okay? Those exact same words. I, don't, I didn't look up the Greek in Galatians 5. I didn't know Pastor Ty was uh, going to use that verse. But these words are the broad way of saying all kinds of immorality. And Corinthians was known as uh, probably like our Las Vegas today, where what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Why? Because it's a lot of immorality, sensuality. And same with Corinth. When you travel through Corinth, you could expect to uh, have to work really hard to maintain your uh, purity. All right, so if they sinned earlier and have not repented of their impurity, sexual morality, and sensuality that they have practiced, then he's going to have to mourn over them. Uh, and he says in 2 Corinthians 6 that such were some of you, all kinds of gross immorality that we're seeing even lived out today and justified should not be like that in the church. So what are leaders concerned about here in verses 20 and 21? Concerned about Christ-like relationships and Christ-like purity. So we are, if we are these types of leaders, and this helps us to train the next generation of leaders, that as we want other elders uh, to be trained in our church and discipled, other godly men and women are primarily concerned for people and not what people can do. Helping others... um, most concerned with God's opinion. And then as they help uh, people grow, they're looking for Christ-like relationships and Christ-like purity. If we're these type of leaders now, then we're going to close with these questions. Will you trust your godly leaders? See, if we're not godly, and you, you have a responsibility as a church to confront us. If you confront us and still nothing happens, then you have a responsibility to leave. Leave this church. If you cannot, cannot trust the leadership, leave. It's okay. Um, there are times when Christians should leave uh, churches if you can't trust your godly leaders. But what Paul's saying here, we haven't given you any reason to distrust us, but you're still distrusting us. He's laid out these things of godly leaders are trustworthy because they look like this, and they're concerned about these things. And if we can, as elders here, learn from this and say, we need to evaluate our leadership. And if our leadership looks like this and our congregation still doesn't trust us, the responsibility is not on the leadership now. It's on the congregation. So as you're a parent and you're a parent like this and you're, you're, your kids still say, mom, dad, I don't, I don't trust you. Okay, did I take money from you? <laughs> you didn't trust me? Did I deceive you? no, I just don't trust you, okay? I, I've lived with you for so many years and you still don't trust me, okay? This, this passage will help both parents and those uh, being parented, both uh, leaders in a church and those following uh, to 
follow leadership, follow godly leaders so that we can be a healthy church, so that we can all be built up, so this church looks like Christ, serves Christ, and is most concerned with Christ's opinion in the end. Will you evaluate your trust in our leadership? I can't evaluate your trust, okay? Sometimes there's evidence in a conversation, uh, in an attitude that comes out in a conversation, but I, I can't evaluate your trust in our leadership. This is you before God. You evaluate your trust in the leadership here. Second question, will you study Christ to know what is Christ's likeness? We have a full Bible. We're going through and getting summary and uh, overview uh, this uh, year of the New Testament. But you have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You can read to see what Christ did. Was he humble? Was he, uh, did he, was he powerful? Yeah. And uh, evaluate your leaders compared to Christ. You got to know Christ, though, if you're going to know what Christ's likeness is. And then finally, will you help strengthen our church by trusting Christ-like leaders? So whenever you trust Christ-like leaders who are trying to help you, then you are strengthened and you help other people to be strengthened. So let's look back at verse 20 and see the opposite of these words. These words of these sins and the, the sins of verse 21 tear relationships apart, tear churches apart. When people don't trust their leaders, and maybe their leaders aren't trustworthy, but if they are trustworthy, this shouldn't be happening in the congregation about their leaders. And so Paul's confronting them and saying, you got quarreling, you got jealousy, you've got hostility, you've got slander, you've got gossip, and you've got conceit and disorder. What are the opposite of these? Those are fruits of the flesh. Tearing a church apart, keeping it immature, keeping it very, its usefulness very minimal, and many in the church are going to hear, you wicked, slothful slaves, and the judgment. But if there's not quarreling, there's unity. Instead of jealousy, there's helpfulness. Instead of anger, there is um, peacefulness. Instead of hostility, there's unity. Instead of slander, there is no corrupt communication coming out of our mouth, but only edifying. Instead of gossip, there is kindness and forgiveness. Instead of conceit and pride and arrogance, there's humility and graciousness and forgiveness. Instead of disorder, there is order. And Christ is magnified here. And his church is strengthened. And as his church is strengthened, we can provoke one another to love and good works. And this is the goal where Christ gets all the glory for this church. Weak as we may be, needing Christ's grace, and as we're living Christ's grace, we are hopefully helping each other to walk in a worthy, a worthy way for Christ. Let's pray.